When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got a showdown between Utah and Oregon for Pac-12 supremacy. Is Ohio State looking at a trap game against Wisconsin? And oh yeah, don't mind Oklahoma. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Utah and Oregon playing for Pac-12 supremacy. We got to talk about Ohio State and what Wisconsin might show us and what Ohio State is going to try to avoid a trap game, a letdown. Going to talk a little bit about who is the starting quarterback at Texas going into Saturday's game against BYU. And don't mind Oklahoma, not one. So first, let's start with the big game in the Pac-12, number eight, Oregon at number 13, Utah. That is at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on Big Fox, and Gus and Joel will have that game along with Jenny. I'm very excited for this one because we get to see Oregon play against another good football team for just the second time all year. Seriously, I'm excited about this one because I do think that Oregon is still the favorite to win the Pac-12 for me, even as Washington's in the front run, I know Washington is undefeated. And I understand Washington beat Oregon, but I honestly believe that Dan Lanning lost that game for Oregon so much that Oregon didn't lose it themselves. But you know what? That's why games like this one matter because Utah is also surging. The odds makers have this one at Oregon being favored by six and a half points in Salt Lake City. Okay, sure. Making them a touchdown favorite, touchdown plus the hook. But I understand why. Now, while it's easy to think that Oregon's 38-24 win against Washington State was, well, easy, that kind of robs the Cougars of what I thought was an outstanding showing at times. Like, they jumped out to a 10-0 lead, and they were averaging seven yards per play against a defense that has shown it will give it up in recent weeks. Now, had the Cougars been better on money down, that is third down, instead of being 4-14, maybe we get more of a ball game instead. Oregon runs away with this one, 38-24. And the big note from there is having a veteran quarterback really does matter. We know that Bo Nix has now started more games than any other FBS quarterback in history at 54. I'm not going to say he's 35 years old, but he's closer to 35 years old than Bryson Barnes, who's starting quarterback at Utah. We also understand that Michael Penix Jr., one of the better quarterbacks in the sport, maybe a Heisman winner, also ancient by college football standards. But I think more about this is what can Morgan Scali's defense do against Bo Nix in that offense? Because one of the things that I find most interesting about Oregon is they don't need Bo Nix to go out and be great. So he's much freer to operate like a quarterback that doesn't have it all on his shoulders. They got Bucky Irving and Jordan James back there with over 1,100 yards and about six yards per carry, 15 TDs over these first several games. And then Troy Franklin is a Bolitnikoff Award finalist, I think, right? I think he leads the Pac-12 in receiving TDs as well. It's not just that the offense is good. I mean, and by the way, very good. We're talking about number one in 
FBS for offense, 551.6 yards per game, number two in scoring at 47 a game. And by the way, they take care of the football. They've only given it away just one time. That was an interception against Colorado. Jaquez Robinson coming up with the goods in Austin. But for Utah, this really is a game for which we get to know whether or not you are in a great position to defend your Pac-12 and win it for the third time in a row. But this is not a team that's been like the last two years, notably because Bryson Barnes is that quarterback. And Utah's probably the only program in the history of the world that can make Bryson Barnes into a winner, but that's just what he has done at Utah. He's been a winner. Pig farming and all of it, but he's had lots of help. Number one, that Morgan Scally defense has just been nasty. By the way, high key, Morgan Scally ought to be a Broyles Award finalist for what he has done just through this first half of the season. And coaches need to let the Broyles Award committee know they are nominating one of their coordinators for the award. When we start doing this thing on November 13th, and I got a vote this year, and so I'm very much invested in it, but it's really difficult to look at Utah and not be just impressed with what they can do defensively and how they found a way to make this thing work offensively. Now, I mentioned Bryson Barnes, who came up with a really big play to give Utah an opportunity to win that game at the Coliseum, Coliseum last week, but the guy that has been really stealing headlines is Sione Vaki. Like, the Vaki Viper has been violent for them against Cal, 158 rush yards, right? And then against USC, 217 rushing and receiving. This is a man with four TDs, but also the second leading tackler at Utah and has a sack and an interception as a safety. I came into this year, like many of you, thinking Emeka Buka and Travis Hunter would be the guys that win the Paul Hornig Award, which is given to the guy who's the best all-purpose player in the sport, but Sione Vaki here of lately is going, no, you got to include me in this. And to see them be able to pull that dude off of the defense, have him going both ways, I'm just impressed by that. So if he can get going against this Oregon defense that has been, frankly, giving it up here of late, maybe Utah can pull off yet another stunner to me. I understand that some folks are going, hey, how is that win against SC an upset? I'm like, well, if you just take a look at what SC had, and what Utah had, notably not having Cam Rising, you can see how we all come to that, especially with that game being in the Coliseum. I'm really interested to see if Bo Nix gets into that pressure cooker situation, whether or not Dan Lanning still wants to be aggressive with the offense, because that was another point of contention against Washington. If you're going forward on fourth down against Utah, you better pick it up because they're not going to give you the ball back very easily. And they like being able to take your will on third and fourth downs. Like Dan Lanning wants to be aggressive, but there's being aggressive. And then there's 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 getting your behind kicked because you make some bad coaching decisions. And this has been a season where we've seen our share of coaching mistakes. The 10 men at Notre Dame against Ohio State. We've seen running the football instead of taking a knee against Georgia Tech if you're Miami, right? Not getting up to play a team like Virginia from North Carolina. And this team you ought to see coming in Utah because quiet as it is kept, Utah is the two-time defending Pac-12 champ, and we tend to think that the Pac-12 champ this year will get a team into the college football playoff. This game could do a lot about deciding which one of these programs the college football playoff selection committee thinks is best. Now, Washington ought to be ranked ahead of either one of these because both of these teams have a loss. But you understand, if one of these teams is ranked closer to Washington, if they come in at, say, five, six, or even four, we feel much better about one of those two teams getting into the college football playoff. Again, I can't stress enough how important this game is if you're Oregon 
because you already got that loss against Washington, right? And we already don't think that you played enough people for us to really think you're great. And the schedule is set up for the last half for you to actually stand up and be like, no, no, we're that team that we were a few years ago. Because remember, Oregon got in the college football playoff 2014, handed Florida State its head. We could be in that position once again where we see a Florida State team and an Oregon team play each other. Or maybe we get Utah into this thing for the first time. Very excited to see how this one goes and interested to see which quarterback outplays the other, Bo Nix or Bryson Barnes, and which running back room outplays the other one, whether that's Utah with Sione Baki leading the charge or the tandem that is Bucky Urban and Jordan James. I'm going to be here for all of it. Very excited about it. All right. I'm going to pick Oregon in that game. Again, chalk here. I think Oregon is a balanced football team. I think that Tosh LePoy and Dan Lanning are probably going to read that defense, the riot act, and say, hey, when Sione Vaki is on the field, maybe we're going to put a body on him, and we're going to make Bryson Barnes throw the football, which means you're probably going to try to load the box, and you're probably going to stop them, try to stop them running the football. If you can do that and let Bo Nix find Troy Franklin, let that running game get to work, Will Stein's been doing a great job. Also a guy that might be considered a Boyle's Award finalist, depending on what happens in this game and the rest of the year. Yeah, I got Oregon here because I just think that they're better in the three phases than Utah. But all Utah has done is thumb its nose at not having Cam Rising and go get wins. All right, let's go from that game to that big noon game. That is number six, Oklahoma at Kansas. That's 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Fox in Lawrence. Now, Oklahoma comes into this thing favored by 10, right? And you got to understand why they're undefeated. They're giving up 16.1 per game. And, you know, Oklahoma getting through the month of October unscathed is definitely a thing. But it's been kind of squirrely the last few years. Now, I got up to a 7-0 start in uh, 2019. And then Kansas State came up with that big win against them. Kansas in that position again. They did in 2021. Get to that in just a second here. But not to get too far ahead of this thing, but Oklahoma's own Kansas. Just, I mean, there's no getting around it. That's not a dunk. That's just a fact. Oklahoma's won 18 in a row against the Kansas Jayhawks dating back to 1997, okay? And it gets kind of worse for Kansas on this front because as much as I love Lance Leipold, it's been a bugaboo for him against really great football teams. Now, Kansas is in a much better spot because they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. They just aren't beating the teams that are supposed to beat them. They've allowed 40 points per game and 480.6 yards per game in the seven games that they have played against ranked opponents in the Lance Leipold era, right? Latest we saw this was what Texas was able to do against Kansas just a few weeks ago. But it's also just really hard to say how good this Kansas team is. They're five and two. So I know they're good. It's just how good. It's a team that will rush for 399 yards and put up 51 points on a Central Florida team that gave Oklahoma fits and without John Rice Plumley, right? It's also the kind of football team that will see Jason Bean, who is the second string quarterback, throw for 410 yards against Oklahoma State, but lose that game 39-32. to 32. The lesson here is not, hey, if they get Jalen Daniels back, they're a different football team, though I think they'll play differently. I think Jason Bean being your number two just means your depth is absolutely nasty. I mean, it's real difficult to look at Jason Bean and say that's a, that's a QB2 because he's a QB1 for almost everybody else. But the point to raise here is they can beat you throwing the ball or running the ball, right? Mentioned what Jason Bean was able to do. I'm also looking at Devin Neal and Daniel Heshaw, who are they absolutely can tote that barge, lift that bail, carry the mail. Between those guys, 1,100 rush yards, 1,096, right? And they're averaging a nice number of 6.9 yards per clip. Now, on top of all of that, 
Andy Kotelnicki has been really great at identifying what your weakness is and just beating you to death with it. Again, throw the ball 410 yards against a soft secondary at Oklahoma State. Run the ball up, up and down Central Florida for 399. It's going to be interesting to see which one of those he picks to try to beat Oklahoma. So, you know, what are Oklahoma's weaknesses going into this game? Well, as I mentioned, getting through the month of October for starters, because until 2019, Oklahoma had not got through the month of October undefeated since 2004. That was also the year that Oklahoma went undefeated into the national championship game. And uh, Matt Leinert and USC beat us so badly that we were booing Ashley Simpson at halftime. So either way, since 2000, it ain't been going our way, right? Now, this Kansas team is certainly the kind that could be up on Oklahoma. Oklahoma gets a really great win against Kansas, and they get a big margin of victory. Maybe they get into that top four, but that's not really what you want for Oklahoma because check this out. In all four of the college football playoff appearances for the Sooners, they never once started out as one of the four top teams in the initial college football playoff selection committee rankings. I would like that to be the same. Put Florida State in the dunker spot and don't mind Oklahoma. But even more than that, we're going to get to see whether or not this Oklahoma defense is actually fracturing or if the teams beneath them have actually gotten good. Again, I mentioned that Kansas is five and two. So is Oklahoma State. So is BYU, right? The gap is closing up here. But for the Sooners, it's all about survive and advance. That means win this football game any way you got to win it and put eight and no up in front of the committee and tell them to go fight you with it and say, we got a new head coach there in Brent Venables who knows how to do this, right? He's won national championships at Oklahoma and then at Clemson. So if you win an ugly game, that's fine. Just get through the month of October unscathed. But a convincing win would be helpful, right? I don't think that Florida State is that good, but the AP voters do, and I expect the college football playoff selection committee will ride with that. I think Florida State is good. They're just 2014 good, which is good enough to go through the rest of their schedule undefeated and show up to the college football playoff, get their head handed to them. However, Oklahoma really does need to show the kind of defensive performance that they did prior to last week, honestly, right? I thought it was interesting that Oklahoma won this game by two points like you, or I was actually terrified. But two things on that. One, Zach Schmidt missed two field goals in that game that probably changed the complexion of the game maybe open it up a little bit, maybe lead to a more back-breaking style of win for Oklahoma against a really not great Central Florida team, right? Also missed a very big field goal against Texas. He's still going to be the starting place kicker, but while he's been perfect with extra points in his career, he's just not at 13 kicking the field goals. Now, the other point to raise there is that last week was the first week that Oklahoma's defense did not create a turnover, which means the Oklahoma offense actually kept up its end when the Oklahoma defense wasn't playing at an elite level, that's that's not too shabby, especially when you take into account that Oklahoma is one of the two best teams in the country in turnover margin, the other one being Penn State. They created 15 turnovers. They've only given the ball away three times, and then they get Tawi Walker back from an in-house suspension to help them run the football a little bit better against a Kansas team that they're going to need to control. That's led by Kenny Logan on defense. I think he's got 45 tackles this year. He's on pace to have over 100. They're good enough to put you on the ground, and you can't let that Kansas offense get going. The reason I say that is Oklahoma gave up 527 yards and 30 points to Texas. Now it's Texas, right? That's a national title contender. I'm going to let that slide. But giving up 398 to Central Florida in 29, again, not a great look. This is a team that hadn't that's given up at least 20 points or more in each of the last three outings. But again, it's just given up 
this season, but they it's getting tough here, right? Kansas is getting better. Oklahoma State is absolutely thriving. They, while we're here, I'm just going to go ahead and raise the alarm on Ollie Gordon at Oklahoma State for those of y'all that don't know. That tailback is as good as Daniel Heshaw and Devin Neal. 121 against Iowa State, 136 against Kansas State, 168 against Kansas, 282 against West Virginia, and the Bedlam's in 11 days, okay? So if you can succeed in not putting the Conestoga before Boomer and Sumer take care of Kansas, then Bedlam actually gets to be really big, and it's going to be the last Bedlam that we see for the foreseeable future, so we're already kind of hyped up about that. Given all of this, I'm still picking Oklahoma. I mean, obviously, right? But I would like to see Oklahoma play sound football offensively and defensively. Don't give the ball away. Take the ball away a couple of times. Get Danny Stutzman out there making tackles. Let's see what else Peyton Bowen can do, because I think that might be the best safety that Oklahoma has had since Tony Jefferson. Tackling machine back when Mike didn't have a defense. He just funneled everything to Tony who could make tackles. They got that kind of talent all over the defense this year. And Ted Roof might be up for the Broyles Award, too, guys. Like, I came into the season going, I don't know if that guy's it. Give it up 30 a game and 400 a game. This year, he's going, yeah, RJ, how's that smell? It smells nice. It smells undefeated. I like being undefeated and perfect and 7-0 going into Lawrence, Kansas. So Oklahoma, take care of your business, and then we'll see what the College Football Playoff Selection Committee says on Tuesday night, for which we will be live as soon as the initial rankings are released right here on the number one college football show. Another team that should appear inside the top five at the College Football Playoff Selection Committee's initial rankings is Ohio State. Number three, Ohio State is at Wisconsin in Madison. Now, they walk into this thing favored by 14 and a half points, but there's going to be already some blood here, right? Luke Fickle is one of Ohio State's own, right? Not just as a nose tackle there, right? Playing for the vaunted John Cooper. You will not, you you just, you won't impinge the name of John Cooper with me because that man coached Tulsa before he got to Ohio State. Point is, Luke Fickle became a great nose tackle for them at Ohio State and then became a great coordinator for Ohio State, the kind of which that can shepherd you through a six and seven season, stay on the staff, go 12 and 0, best 12 and 0 team that never won a national championship. That's that's a documentary that I personally want to make. And then 2014 helps you win a national championship, does this outstanding job at Cincinnati, right? Turns them into a college football playoff team with no group of five team had ever achieved that, gets hired over at Wisconsin and brings in Mike Tressel to run the defense and Phil Longo to run the offense. Now, Neither one of those things has clicked the way that Wisconsin fans hoped they had. Tanner Mordecai seems to have taken a step back from what he was doing at Southern Methodist. And that offense is still one in which he's trying to be as accurate as he can. Like the the book on Tanner is that he's got one of the highest football IQs of any quarterback that anybody's ever seen. It's just getting his brain to do what, what, what or getting his body to do what his brain says to do. On every occasion. Now, you also got Raylan Allen back there, and you're going to try to run the football on this Ohio State team and really take the life out of that offense and not let them work. But I already think that it would please nobody more than Luke Fickle to get a win against Ohio State and wreck their undefeated season. And after what we saw Ohio State have to do against Penn State, we wonder, are you going to show up with full force? And are you going to be able to put Wisconsin away early? Because you haven't basically since Notre Dame. You look sluggish and Looked like that game was going to get out of hand for you against Maryland before you decided to pour it on. And then Penn State, it was just slow and steady, but the slow and steady was also Marvin Harrison Jr. You got to double cover that guy. That guy is not just Ohio State's best chance to win a Bolitnikoff award since 1995 when Terry Glenn did it. 
but also it's best chance at a Heisman winner. He's that important to what they do. And I say this because Manny Diaz was calling his defense based on what Marvin Harrison Jr. was doing on a football field. Because they could not double cover, or excuse me, because they could not single cover him and bring an eighth man into the box, they had to let Ohio State sort of kind of try to run the football. And even when they tried the single coverage, all the first rounder, that is Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be, did against the first rounder that Kalen King is going to be, is beat him. And there's nothing you can do about that, right? If that guy's that good and you can just throw the football up to him, that's where the football's got to go. And Kyle McCord seems to know that, right? I remember it was like Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins back in Texas. Hey, where's D-Hop? I'm going to throw it to him. That is what Kyle McCord is doing. And I think their friendship and their playing together since St. Joe's and high school is really starting to pay off. You can see why that chemistry is so important. And frankly, I think it gives them an edge in this game. I'm also looking at this, and I find this really fascinating. Marvin Harrison Jr. has got 42 catches, 766 yards, six TDs on the number three team in the nation, right? Best player on the third best team in the nation. Only one power five wide receiver has more yards, more TDs, and plays on an undefeated top 10 team. And he didn't play last week, right? Or excuse me, the week before last. That was Roma Dunzi, right? So right now, it feels like it's got to be Marvin Harrison that you're looking for to go beat Wisconsin. And you got to know that Luke Fickle's already trying to draw up something nasty to take him away. But it will also, let's say he goes for 200 in the next four games and just blows everybody away on the Heisman competition. He'd be the first non-quarterback to win it or uh, excuse me, since Devontae Smith and just the second since 2016 to go along with Heisman winner at Ohio State, be the first one since Troy Smith in 2006. But it's about the defense at Ohio State, which is not something that we thought we would say coming into this year. I remember Ryan Day doing the show, Big Ten Media Days. I asked him about the defense and the step that it needed to take forward. And he said, look, we think we could be as good as 2019. Best, definitely our best defensive unit since 19. And Jim Knowles in year two, that's supposed to be the leap year. And it has absolutely been that year. They limit explosive plays, right? They're keeping the ball in front of them. They're making tackles in the open field. They're doing what is necessary to keep teams out of the end zone. It ain't always pretty. But with the safeties finally understanding their roles in that defense, they're playing lights out, and they look great. I mean, Tulsa's own, Owasa's own Josh Proctor out there making it happen. I mean, Jordan Hancock did this show years ago, and I asked him, you know, what do you think your ceiling is? He's going, I just want to start at Ohio State. He's doing that, and he has taken away some of the best wide receivers that Ohio State is going to face. High key, Jim Knowles. Nominate for the Broyles Award because that dude is definitely once again in the running to win the damn thing. And again, that opens up on November 13th, and they're going to take those all the way up until conference championship weekend. I'm going to pick Ohio State in this one. I think it's, I don't know if it's going to be 14 and a half. I think Wisconsin is a really good football team, and that's a lot of points against them, especially two teams that are going to take their time, right? We're going to load the box, try to stop Braylon Allen. If they can't, it's going to be a long day. We're going to try to take away Marvin Harrison Jr. and make you beat us on the ground. We'll see what happens there. Also, flat out, I, something I just did not mention, but I'm going to mention now, is Ohio State beat Penn State without Emeka Buka, which I didn't think was going to be possible. And I just completely forgot about it because Marvin Harrison Jr. was that important. But you get Emeka Buka back, say nothing of Travion Henderson, right? And you get your full assortment of offensive weapons. It's easy to see how Ohio State becomes a national championship contender, let alone a college football playoff contender, and maybe good enough to beat Michigan in the game 
in November, which I am fired up. Going to do another live tailgate for that. Really excited about that. Michigan fans should be excited about it, too, because every time I've done that, Michigan wins the damn football game. I don't know why y'all are upset with me. I'm your lucky charm. So let's go from Ohio State and Wisconsin to the big game, for me at least, in the SEC this year, uh, this week. It's number one, Georgia versus Florida. Now, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party is everybody's favorite. Games played in Jacksonville, right? Uh, both Florida and Georgia get up for it, and both Florida and Georgia hate each other, right? That's why we get up for it. I love it when two teams get to line up because I don't like you, and they get to go play football. But this one is interesting because Georgia's still favored by 14 and a half. I don't know if the Bulldogs should be on upset alert, but it can't hurt. And the reason it can't hurt is I want to know who steps in to the Brock Bowers dually Fires up the Cummins in the one ton and says, hop in, boys. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to tow you. I want to know who's going to strap on the Brock Bowers backpack and say, jump on my back. I got you. Now, my money right now is on Dejon Edwards, right? Because I think that dude at tailback is great, right? I also was having a hard time thinking the last white running back at Georgia that was really great. And I'm still trying to think about what that could look like. I'm, I'm, if y'all got it, let me know. Hit me in the YouTube comments. Hit me on the tweets. Because Cash is out there making it happen, right? And I'm going, all right, cool. But if Dejan Edwards can do what he has done in recent weeks and run for 150, feels like he can go beat this Florida's team that is surging. Graham Mertz finding his way. I didn't think the Florida was going to be any good after they lost to Utah. It turns out Utah's a good football team, right? And then I picked Tennessee to beat Florida. And what did Florida do? Show me the middle finger <laughs> that we going to stop up on Tennessee, RJ. And so if they go into this game with that same attitude and that same intensity, I think we could see Georgia get beat down. I mean, look, it's a team that was down to Auburn until Brock Bowers put on his backpack and went to work for you. It is a team that was down at halftime against South Carolina and South Carolina ain't nobody. Ain't, no, ain't nobody. Mm -mm, mm -mm, no. If you do that against this Florida team that feels like it's playing some of its best football you could take an L, and I dock Georgia to number two because they haven't been dominant. Michigan has been dominant. Georgia has not. I wonder if we have already reached the point in the Georgia journey where they are bored with winning. That's dangerous. I don't think Nick Saban's the Alabama team got bored with winning until 2013, okay? You got a couple of years before you get to get bored with winning and knowing that you could be the first program in modern history to win three consecutive national championships, that's enough for me. But you know what? It wasn't enough for the U.S. women's national team. They mailed it in in round of 16, got beat down, got toe up for it, and then want to act like, oh, you're coming after us. Yes, we're coming after you because you're supposed to win the whole damn thing. Same thing with Georgia. You don't get to be bored with winning. You certainly don't get to be bored with beating Florida in this game. So you'll get up, I think, I think. But if Brock Bowers is not there to bail you out, I hope Dejan Edwards and Carson Beck can because you lose this football game. It's really difficult for me to pick Missouri or not to beat you the following week. And then we're talking about who plays in the SEC championship game, right? That's what we're talking about. So you need to get this win so you get the cushion. So you go one with one loss in the SEC title game. Yeah, okay, cool. You're going to get in the college football playoff, but you're playing with fire. And you're playing with your undefeated record. And why would you do that? Why, why would you do that? Have people going, they were better when Stetson Bennett was the quarterback. I, I don't know, dog. I, don't, I wouldn't want nobody to say that about me. 
You know, I would want to be like, no, we got the guy that we want at quarterback, Carson Beckman, waiting his turn. We got another five-star behind him and Brock Vandergriff got another five-star behind him and got in Stockton. But it would be Pete Georgia to have your best two teams be led by the walk-on. But you know what? Maybe that's the way Kirby Smart draws it up. So I'm picking Georgia to win this football game because I think on talent, they can win. They should win. But don't come out sluggish. And don't do that thing where you're down at halftime because that ain't going to be no good luck. So you go down at halftime against this Florida team and you win. I think the college football playoff selection committee might think about ranking you number two, just like me. I'll also add one more note here. Monday, Michigan became the national title favorite. I've had Michigan as the number one ranked team on my rankings since September. I, RJ, Michigan. And you're playing with that now, Georgia, because now the books are betting against you. Come on now. I need you to come on with the come on. I need to see if you actually want this challenge because we're not giving out number one. And I'm certainly not going to hand you a national championship. Nobody is. Not this year when we got this sort of parity, just one through 10, right? So come out, show us what you're made of, put Florida away in a hurry, and sit on them like you did Tennessee last year, right? See what we got after that. All right. Let's go from the big game in the SEC to the most intriguing game on Saturday for me, which is Brigham Young University at number seven, Texas. Now, a couple things on this one, right? The first one is, what does Texas look like without Quinn Ewers at quarterback? We have an answer for that last year. With Hudson Card, they looked fine against Alabama and then not great, right? Hudson Card's at Purdue doing what he can. But now... We're probably going to get the Malik Murphy experience precisely because Quinn Ewers forgot that he plays quarterback, tried to lower his shoulder against a man that plays defense, and that man just T-fied on him, and now you got a sprained joint in your throwing shoulder with no timetable for return. Son, you play quarterback. Slide. But now we get the Malik Murphy experience, and I love Malik Murphy's game. I love Malik Murphy's game since he came out of the same high school that Tom Brady went to California. I've watched him in CIF. That dude's got all the tools, right? Super talented. Six foot five, throws the ball on time and downfield. And he ran one hell of a fake to get CJ Baxter just wide open, parting through the Red Sea against Houston to get that go ahead win or touchdown for the win against Houston. But should Arch actually start this game is a question that Steve Sarkeesian has had to field and will continue to have to field. And I understand it. Like the quote that he gave in his press conference leading up to this game was Arch and Malik. We'll both get a ton of reps. If the game was today, Malik would start and Arch would be ready to come in. Look, if the game was today, it's doing a hell of a lot of work here, right? But I also thought it was interesting that Steve Sarkeesian wanted to play Arch against Rice, but didn't get an opportunity to throw him in there against Rice. Still got the four games that you want to play a five-star quarterback because, well, you want to keep him happy. And everybody wants to see the five-star quarterback, but Producer Tyler made this point. Has that worked? I mean, outside of Trevor Lawrence, has that worked? No, it, it really hasn't. And Malik being a red shirt freshman who's had a year in the system and really wants to be at Texas, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for him. And if he plays really, really well, maybe we got us a quarterback controversy by the time the game ends. But it's also going to be against a really good BYU team, or at least what seems to be becoming a really good BYU team. Like I was looking at it. Before beating Texas Tech for their first Big 12 win against a legacy Big 12 opponent, 
We're talking about beating up on Southern Utah and Arkansas, among others, right? Arkansas ain't nobody this year. It's, it's tough down there. We They had to fire Danny Ellis as offensive coordinator. But they also got five turnovers against Texas Tech last week to zero for Texas Tech. I don't know if you're going to get five turnovers for Texas. I, I don't care who's quarterback, right? So you're going to need Keen Slovis to come on with the come on, right? You're going to need L.J. Martin to come on with the come on. Get something out of that Cougar offense to try to give yourself an opportunity here. And you can do that because Texas – has a scoring problem and a big play problem here of late, right? So we saw against Houston alone, six pass plays of 21 yards or more allowed by the Texas defense, including one for 51. And we saw Texas's offense really stall inside the red zone. There were four trips inside the red zone for Texas last week against Houston. They scored a total of 24 points in those four trips. You got to finish with TDs in there. You have to. If you give BYU the same opportunity that you give to Houston, chances are Kalani Sataki is not going to call a sprint rollout with the game on the line. Probably going to go, you know, quarterback sneak or run the football on fourth and inches instead of trying to throw the damn ball. I'm still mad about that because Texas, Texas should have lost that game, but Houston lost it for them. That said, I'm picking Texas to win this football game. I think Texas is still the second best team in the Big 12, and if they keep up their end, Oklahoma keeps up theirs, we get a rematch of these two college football playoff title contenders, and then we get to see which one probably makes it into the playoff, and we already know the select committee thinks highly of the Big 12. How do we know this? Because Texas Christian went in the Big 12 title game undefeated, took a loss, and still got the selection, and then was vindicated when they put 51 up on Michigan's head, okay? All, all this talk that I'm talking about Michigan, that's, that's the thing to remember, is once they get to the big game outside of the Big 10, they have not been able to win it. Ask Georgia about that, right? So Texas take care against uh, takes care of BYU is the way I see it. Now, big game for me personally and big game for America, honestly, Colorado at number 23, UCLA. Now, we talked about putting this on the rundown, but I, I love me talking about some, some Coach Prime. And it's usually, usually a segment that y'all want to hear me talk about because I watch the views. And I watch the retweets and the reposts and all those sorts of things. UCLA's favored by 17 and a half. It didn't matter, right? Because even being four and three, ABC is going to have this be their primetime game on Saturday night. Why? Because America wants to see it. This is going to be the seventh national television game for Colorado this season. They're going to get to eight next week when they play Oregon State on ESPN which means they already played on national, uh, they will have played on national TV as many times as they did during the 1990 season when they won the national championship and Eric Bieniemy, I believe, finished fourth in the Heisman voting. Now, I think you care about TV ratings. I think you care about viewership. And I think that your mama is asking you about what Coach Prime is doing, even though she doesn't ask you about college football at all. Between Prime and Taylor Swift, those are the football questions that most of America wants to talk about, okay? That's why I'm interested in this game. But on a football field, this is also an opportunity for Colorado to show what kind of backbone that they have. Before I get into that, I also want to get one more point in here about national television. When you land a top 100 quarterback who is 6'5", 215 pounds, Antoine Hill Jr., for the 20 25 class it's because you're playing on national tv colorado has blue chip dudes now wanting to come to colorado that's not a thing we get to say okay 
it matters that you're playing in front of the largest audiences that are possible. And most of the top 10 most viewed games this season have had Colorado in them. So I think they're going to be other folks that want to join up with Antoine Hill. And that's that's a dude that could absolutely sling it. 3,663 yards passing, 40 TDs, three INTs in 2022. All right. Now to the football that's going to be played on the field against UCLA. Last time that Colorado played a top 25 opponent, top 25 opponent on the road, Oregon handed them their head. Okay, that game was not close, and it didn't look close from the start. Shador Sanders running for his life. Also did not have Travis Hunter for that game, right? Which a couple weeks ago, I would have said is a big deal. Not so, because Travis Hunter was there for Stanford and the Cardinals, and he played well until Alec Ian Manor decided to make him his mission. Last time we saw Travis Hunter play football, he gave up. 13 catches. He gave up 294 yards along with that defense. Now, that defense is also dead last in yards allowed per game at 473. Good Lord. The idea that you've even won four games with a defense that's dead last in yardage is in and of itself a feat. But what's Travis Hunter going to do against UCLA and possibly Ethan Garbers, who looked good right against Stanford last week? Common opponent, UCLA, showed Stanford the door. Now, Travis Hunter. It's gone two ways, 29 passes, 353 yards receiving, uh, and then 14 tackles and a pick through, you know, basically three games, right? Two TDs. However, we asked this question after the Stanford loss. Is he playing too much? I don't think so because he looks fine. Short of that lacerated liver that he suffered, I mean, his wind is there, and it seems that Charles Kelly wants him on the defense and Sean Lewis wants him on the offense at prime is ready to let that dude play as much as he needs. So that's one question I have is what Travis Hunter do we see? Do we see the guy that was giving up big yards to Alec Ian Manor, right? Because I think J. Michael Studerman is absolutely capable of doing what Alec Ian Manor did, right? Wide receiver for UCLA. I'm also wondering what is Shadour Sanders going to do? Because the last time we saw him play football, he led the FBS in passing yards through seven games during the season. But he also has been sacked so many times, but his star still resonates. The reason I know this is the Sunday night primetime game, which is the most watched television show on earth, Sunday night football. I saw Jalen Ramsey throw the Shadour at a fan to tell the fan to step off. That dude's just resonating. Like, cool people believe Shadour Sanders is cool. Devontae Adams throwing the Shadour, right? What does he show? I mean, I think he's going to show what he's been showing all year, which is that he's a great quarterback, but he's going to need help. And I don't just mean from Travis Hunter and Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn. I mean, they're going to need to run the damn football, right? Um, I need to see Alton McCaskill find his feet, right? I need to see Dylan Edwards get back to playing the kind of ball that he's playing against Texas Christian. That's the caliber of Colorado that I expect to see against UCLA, the one that showed up against Texas Christian. Now, if that's a 45-42 win, that's a game that you expect Colorado to win, right? But if you can't get on the board consistently and you put it on that defensive shoulders, chances are it ain't going to go the way it did against Arizona State where you get to trot Alejandro Mata on to win you the football game. Okay, Primus said he expects a much different Colorado team against UCLA. He's much different. Grew out the beard you know, during the bye weeks, a couple of weeks. Uh, he looks rejuvenated. I hope that the team is too. Now, I think 
Colorado can win this game if they play perfect football offensively and great football defensively. Now, they can't penalize themselves. That's that's the last point to raise here. Colorado's been penalized 69 times this year. That's the most in the FBS, and they had 17 penalties for 127 yards, right, against Stanford. Those are season highs. That's how you blow a 29-0 halftime lead, guys. That. That's how you lose this game in overtime. It's not just Alec Ian Manor absolutely going full Megatron on you. It's also you're, you're hurting yourself. If Colorado can get out of its own way, they stand a chance of upsetting UCLA and getting one win closer to being bowl eligible, which a couple weeks ago we thought, yeah, they're going to do that. Now it's tough the rest of the way with teams that they got to play. So in that game, I think I'm going to pick UCLA because that's, you know, not a wild take. I'm not out here saying that Caleb Williams should be sitting the rest of the season. It's one that, you know, y'all can appreciate and understand because UCLA has demonstrated itself to be a really good football team. And I've had UCLA ranked all year, even when the AP has not. So we'll see how it goes. I'm going to watch it. You're going to watch it. We're going to talk about the aftermath of that game on the Sunday AP rankings reaction show, which, you know, we'll talk about who did what and why, but look for us to talk about that game on Sunday, not Saturday night. We'll be going live on uh, Saturday following the 3.30 window like we did last week, right? And I'm excited about that one because that's going to follow Oregon and Utah, and we'll see how that one influenced college football playoff. Last thing to show here is that USC is at a crossroads. The question before us is what's wrong with Caleb Williams and will Lincoln Riley finally adjust the defensive philosophy? So that's two questions. I'm going to put it like this. The defense isn't good. The defense is playing Alex Grinch's scheme, and they're playing it very well because the scheme is tackles for loss and turnovers. That means you're going to give up big yardage. They're giving up a ton of yardage. They gave up season high to Utah in points and yardage last week. Even when the defense played well, Caleb Williams did not, Notre Dame, and they lost that game. So now we're looking at a USC team that is 6-2 and two and has three out of four opponents that have numbers next to their names next on the schedule. So it looks like SC could just as easily go 7-5 and five as it went 6-2. and two. You might wonder what the hell's going on here. Well, I'm going to tell you. It's frankly not that Lincoln Riley needs to recruit more and needs more time to recruit. I gave this stat last week. Clay Helton through 2020, uh, 22 games, excuse me, was 17 and 5. Lincoln Riley through 22 games at SC is 17 and 5. Now, people would say, what kind of uh, roster did Clay Helton have? What kind of roster did Lincoln Riley have? Roster, <laughs> roster management. There, I don't think there's a better head coach with roster management than Lincoln Riley, who showed up to USC, turned over the spot with 51 new dudes, and came out with a top 25 program that won 11 games, okay? So that ain't it. He's getting who he wants. He just hasn't developed what he has into a national title contender, all right? And frankly, that's got to do with what are you doing against the class football teams in our sport? Because SC is beating all the teams that it's supposed to. It's the teams that got numbers next to their names where they are having fits. Check this out. Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams have combined to go three and seven against top 25 teams dating back to Oklahoma. You might think that there's a fourth win in there, but it's not because Spencer Rattler started the game that Caleb Williams won against Texas, right? That was the emergence of Caleb Williams and when he became the guy. 
for Lincoln Riley, let alone Oklahoma and USC. But it, it's deeper than rap. Riley at SC is two and five against top 25 teams. That means he's also 0-2 against top 25 teams this season. Now, SC is in a bye week, but they come back off that bye week against the undefeated Washington. Okay? So that's that there's that. But I also find it interesting, and I can understand where Oklahoma fans are coming from on this. Not me personally, but I understand. So I'm going to lay this out. When Riley told Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports that he never thought he had the best team in the college football playoff, Oklahoma fans took that as a defense, right? Because you go to the college football playoff four times, you get stomped out in the semifinals four times, and then you claim that you never had the best roster, which, by the way, was true, right? I get that part. But we got pride like everybody else, you know what I'm saying? So you go to SC, and then you say one of the reasons that you go to SC is because you think you can make this place into the mecca of college football. Now, for my Islamic family and brothers, like, Mecca is a holy place, so you don't just say Mecca. Like, I, I, I wouldn't say Mecca. That's not me, right? I don't use that as a euphemism for anything. Like, I don't say the Vatican of anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So that's one. But then you go to SC, you put together this roster, and you're winning a bunch of games, but you're not beating the teams that win championships, notably Utah, right? You are 0-2 against the defending Pac-12 champs. 0-3, excuse me, tw lost twice last year. But at Oklahoma... Riley was actually much better against top 25 teams. Peep this. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma is 15 and 6 against top 25 opponents. So good that at Oklahoma, the phrase was coined championship November. Because until 2021, Lincoln Riley had coached a football team that went undefeated in November in winning time, right? When you gotta have it for the college football playoff selection committee. 2021, get off to a 9-0 start, get out of October undefeated. Then you promptly lose to Baylor. Then you promptly lose to Oklahoma State, and Riley is off to California like his last name is Jode, and he's part of the Grapes of Wrath. So, maybe Riley was better at Oklahoma. Than, no, Riley was better at Oklahoma than he is at SC. I'm still interested to see if he can turn that resume around specifically this year when you got three ranked opponents left. And then when you go into the Big Ten, oh boy. A lot of folks thought that Lincoln Riley was running from the SEC when he took the USC job. I don't think that's true. I, I really don't. I don't think the man is running from anybody. However, the Pac-12 this year is a great example of what the Big Ten will be next year. You're going to have some squads in the Big Ten. Matter of fact, only one team inside the AP top 10 won't be SEC or Big Ten next year. That's Florida State. And most Florida State fans would love to join the SEC. You know what I'm saying? So Riley need to get it figured out. If that means looking at Alex Grinch and saying change the defensive philosophy into something else, or if it means looking at your offense and going, am I giving the defense the best opportunities to win? Because honestly, winning Heisman trophies is great. But if you don't win a national championship, that's what matters to me. That's what matters to fans. I don't count Heisman Trophy statues. Wow, that's a lie. I count seven Heisman Trophy statues. But I don't want to count as many Heisman Trophy statues as I do national championships, okay? I would love to have way more national championships than Heisman Trophies. You know why? Because I carry national championship in my back pocket as an Oklahoma fan, as any fan. That's the one. Central Florida fans, 
You can't take that 2017 national championship from them. They earned it. They went undefeated. The system is broken, not them. That's what I would do with this. And if you're an SC fan and you're starting to feel just a little bit annoyed and irritated, hey, been there. Talk to me about it. I'll listen. We can have a therapy session together. Matter of fact, let's do it live Saturday following Oregon and Utah right here on the number one college football show. That's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. As always, my thanks to our leads of screening, Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall, our production assistant, Kiara Santana, our social media maven, Javion Duncan, our technical director, Chaz Boulay, and our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, executive producer, Catherine Kardaji. I'm RJ, the host. We will see y'all on Saturday. Deuces.